everybody, let's all stand and together we're going to lift up our voices as we sing, I'll fly away. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away in the morning when I die, hallelujah, bye. here this morning as we have come to worship together. Let's open up our service in prayer. Lord in heaven, we come before you and we thank you and praise you for your many, many blessings to us. And today, even as we have our service and then followed by our Thanksgiving lunch as a church, I pray that you'd help each of us to have that heart towards Thanksgiving, remembering your many blessings to us. Please bring them to our minds throughout the morning. Help us in every way to lift you up and exalt you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated.
been singing Sing to the King, and then Here I Am to Worship, and you may remain seated. Sing to the King who is coming to reign. Glory to Jesus, the Lamb that was slain. Life and salvation, His empire shall bring. Joy to the nations when Jesus is King. Come, let us sing a song, a song declaring we belong to Jesus. He is all we
appreciate very much those who minister to us in music. It's a blessing. Amen. Amen. <coughs> uh, they're telling me to turn my mic on. And um, I want you guys to bring up on the screen that picture that I had sent to John, if you would. So this is Caesarea by the Sea in Israel. This was built by Herod the Great. Um, it was named Caesarea in honor of uh, one of the Caesars who was the mentor of Herod the Great. And when you look at the middle of section there, I don't know if I have a pointer here, probably not. But when you look at that long oblong circle, that's the Hypodome. This is the largest ancient Roman Hypodome in the world. Right here. Right there. This is Colosseum, ancient Roman Colosseum. And these were all outside of here, was all built for ships to come in. Of course, all this is ruins now. But um, so John and I tomorrow, well today, this afternoon, we're gonna fly to New York City. Tomorrow, early in the morning, uh, I was asked to meet 23 pastors at Turkish Air, give them information, organize them, get them ready, and then we're gonna fly into Istanbul, Turkey. That's gonna take us about 10 hours flight. Istanbul, we'll hang out for a couple hours, then we'll fly down to Jerusalem, actually Tel Aviv in Israel. And the very first place we're going to go, you're going to be in bed. It'll be the middle of your night, but it'll be 8 o'clock in the morning there. We are going to be at this. What happened to my arrow? We're going to be at the Hyperdome. And they have asked me to preach at the Hyperdome because there's a reward seat at the Hyperdome. Uh, and what that is, is when they raced, and this was all for races, this whole thing was for races, and along the side were just like this, uh, stone bleachers, and they would race chariots. Down the middle, you see that straight line right there? That was for straight, like drag races, and human races, runners. And then they have what's called the award seat. And they would come and they would be given what's called the Stephanus, which is the crown of just leaves. It came from the Greek uh, tradition. So that reward seat was not where they would decide winners and losers. The winners and losers were decided out on the Hyperdome. But they would come and get their reward. And the reason that's of significance this morning is because I'm going to take you to the scriptures that talk about you and I as Christians getting our reward. And actually, when I preach on uh, Tuesday morning, when I preach here, I'm going to preach this text. So if you'll listen with me, I'm going to read to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I'm going to read to you verses 24 down through 27. As the Apostle Paul references the reward seat that took place all through the Roman Empire when they had races, fights, all of that, there was a reward seat. So look with me at verse 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things, knowing they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. This is the Apostle Paul penning these words as God inspires him to write this letter to the church in Corinth. But he's playing off of all of their knowledge together of the Colosseums, the Hyperdomes that were built all over the Roman Empire. 
Rome had come to the determination the way to keep people happy was to feed them and entertain them. Isn't it so interesting that we, we seem to have a similar thing happening in the United States, isn't it? And so they had decided through the Caesars and through their system to build all around the nations, all through their empire, Colosseums and Hyperdomes. But as they built those, of course, they had to have competitors. And they would raise up and train among their ranks, among their slaves, they would raise competitors. Many of them would die, but some would live. Some would be rewarded. Some would even be freed. And the Apostle Paul is playing off of all their knowledge of what transpired at those places when he starts talking about running races, when he starts talking about fighting the good fight, when he starts talking about finishing his course, he's wanting them to transfer in their mind themselves to those places. And then he starts talking about crowns. And everyone who lived in the Roman Empire understood what it was to be a victor. They also understood what it meant to be defeated and to lose. But everybody wants to be the victor. Everybody wants to go and stand in front of the governor of the event and to be recognized as the victor. Here in this text, what the apostle is writing about, what God is stirring us about, is running our Christian race, living our life to honor and glorify him, and to run that race that we might receive not a crown, like they would get at the games, but an incorruptible crown, a heavenly crown. It's interesting that in the New Testament, the scriptures talk about five crowns. An incorruptible crown, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory. Each one of those crowns recognizing some aspect of the Christian life. Here in this text, when we talk about the incorruptible crown that's referenced there in verse 24, when he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race, all but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. He's talking about that prize of that incorruptible crown. That crown that is the indicator of the individual who allows the old man to pass away and the new person in Christ to reign, to be victor in their lives. When you come down to the very first part of verse 24, he says, know ye not that ye which run in a race, run all. In order for us to run the race as a Christian, we have to be a Christian. We've got to receive Christ as our savior. We need to accept him into our heart and our life. Christ called it being born again. Throughout the scriptures, all the epistles, all the letters, Talk about the need for us to receive Christ, that we might run that race to God's glory. It's interesting when you come to verse 25, he says, And every man that striveth, striveth for the mastery, is temperate in all things. And that word temperate simply means self-control. Learning to have self-control. Every athlete has to have self-control. All those who lived in the Roman Empire understood that if they were going to see somebody compete in the games, those were true athletes, trained, disciplined. They would race or fight even unto death. And here he's saying to you and I as Christians, he's saying if we're going to get that incorruptible crown, we ourselves need to run the race by receiving Christ as our Savior. And we need to live a life that has self-control, temperance. When you look at verse 26, the very first part of it, he says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. In other words, he's saying to us, we need to have a certain amount of certainty in the race that we run. Need to know who we are and what we are. We're a Christian. We've received Christ as our savior. We're a child of God and we should live our life reflecting that, living it like we mean it, not with hypocrisy, but with sincerity. 
He goes down into verse 26, the last part of it. He says, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. Here we find him talking about you and I fighting the good fight of faith with purpose. Not just flailing in the air, but trained to fight the fight, prepared to hit the tar target, to reach out, touch the mark. He's saying that you and I, each and every one of us as Christians, if we're going to receive that crown, if we're going to get that crown, that incorruptible crown, we need to live a life of purpose. When he comes down to verse 27, the very first part, he says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. It's interesting. We live in a day and an age where people, they're kind of proud to be out of control. They want to look out of control. They want to seem out of control. And yet God calls us to be people who are in control. That's an important part of life. Here this last year, not this year, but the year before, when boys and girls went back to school after being shut down from COVID, as I talked to public school teachers, they told me, it's crazy. They said the kids were out of control. They, they worked hard to rein them in. It was, it was madness, they told me. We all recognize that in our lives, we've got to learn a certain amount of self-control, don't we? I worked for many years. I started at 16 years old working in machine shops and worked in machine shops until I was 32. That's how I paid my way through college. It's how I supported my family bivocationally in ministry. But when you showed up to work and you punched in, back in those days you punched in. I don't know if they, I don't know, do they still punch in when you go to work? You do, Joy? Oh, you, you don't, but other people do. Okay. So well, you'd go in, it'd be a time clock, a card, you'd pull your card. Bang! That thing, it, it made a loud noise when you plugged it in there. It punched the card. That really is aging me, isn't it? So when you would do that, the owner of the company expected you to be under control. You couldn't be bouncing off the walls, running in the halls. Man, you had to go and turn your machine on. You had to clean your work area, get your materials, get your blueprints out. Couldn't be flying airplanes and jumping and you had to be under control. That's life. And here God is saying to you and I as Christians, our lives should reflect self-control, self-discipline. And it's interesting when you look at the last part of verse 27 as he talks about this incorruptible crown that we get as Christians. Listen to verse 27 again. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The apostle says, I know as a Christian I can't be that person who expects everybody else to do it, but me. He says, you know what? When I preach, I preach unto myself. When I teach, I teach unto myself. When I practice, I practice what I preach. He says, lest I be even as those I preach to and I find myself as a castaway. When we look at these crowns, when we look at the reward or the mastery of the crowns, he lays out all these interesting pieces in order to reach that place where we as a Christian, we receive the placing upon our head of that incorruptible crown. But I told you there's five of them. I want you to see the second one with me if you would. We're going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. And here we find the crown of rejoicing. Listen to what he says. He writes to the church in Thessalonica. And he says, For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. He references the crown of rejoicing. And what he's talking about here 
are the people that he has influenced or won to Christ. He's talking about the people that he has shared the truth of the gospel with. And they have bowed their head and prayed and received Christ into their heart. He says, you are my crown of rejoicing. You are that crown that I put on that I might praise God for the salvation of Jesus Christ. And the work of salvation, the work of his grace that transforms lives and eternities. The crown of rejoicing. And I ask you as a Christian, are you sharing your faith with others? Are you striving to get that crown of rejoicing by sharing the truth of Jesus Christ with your neighbors, your friends, your relatives, your co-workers? Each of them needs to know. They need to know that Jesus died for their sins, that he offers them hope and eternal life. Somebody's got to tell them. They're not going to tell them at work. Your boss isn't going to come out and tell them. They're not going to tell them at school. You have to tell them. And that's what the apostle is talking about here. He's saying the crown of rejoicing are those souls that come to Christ. Those people, those boys and girls we've taught. Those individuals that we've shown and prayed with that have come to a place of salvation. He says, you are my crown of rejoicing. And of course, the people then, because he uses that phrase, that Stephanos, that crown phrase, they understand that this is a reward in life. But the third crown I want to show you is in James chapter 1, verse 12. James chapter 1, verse 12, we come down and listen to the crown of life. James 1, 12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. To all those people, he says, God has promised you and I the crown of life. To all those people who love the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I, we look, we hope, we pray, we anticipate our Lord Jesus Christ. But we even do it while we endure trials. And that's what he's talking about here. Look again with me at that verse. He says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation when he is tried. Now he's not talking about enduring temptation to sin. He's using an old word that means temptation in the sense of trial, difficulty, struggle. You and I, all of us, no matter who we are, we face struggles in our lives. They come. Maybe it's financial struggles. Maybe it's health struggles. Maybe it's family struggles. Maybe it's struggles on your job or in your community. You face difficulties. And here he reminds us, he says, if you will face those things looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive that crown of life. So each one of those who read this letter each and every one of those Christians throughout that time and throughout time, they visualize coming to the Hyperdome or coming to the Colosseum, running their race, fighting their fight, finishing their course, and stepping up to the governor of the games. And there they would place upon him that crown. And here the crown of life for living their Christian faith, even in the face of trial. And temptation. But I told you there's five of these. Let's look at another one. Turn with me if you would to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 7 and 8. And here we find the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 7 and 8. He says I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. 
Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. So here the apostle, he writes to his beloved Timothy, his son in the faith, the one that he mentored coming up through the ranks and is now launching into the ministry. And he wants Timothy to understand that there is a crown of righteousness for all those who love the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who are looking for his coming, looking for the day when they will be with him forevermore. And Paul ties it into the games, doesn't he? He makes it clear that he wants them to think about the crown in respect to the games at the Hyperdome, at the Colosseums, because he plays off of running the race, fighting, finishing the course. Because your Christian life is not a bed of roses. Every one of us, it is running a race. You get up each day and you decide, I'm a believer and I'm going to run my race. It doesn't matter if I'm short of breath, if I'm cramping up, it doesn't matter what I'm facing, I'm going to live my faith. I'm going to fight my fight. Yes, there will be those who oppose me, mock me, ridicule me, deride me. But I will still fight the fight because I look to my Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for me. He paid for my sins. He beckoned and welcomed me to salvation. I will finish my course. I showed you the hyperdome and I, with the arrow, I, I pointed down the middle and that, that long straight, it's stone coming down the sides, right up through the middle. And there men would run one against another. Or horses would run a straight drag race, one against another. Other races, they would loop and loop and loop. But it did no good to start if you didn't finish. There was no victory in not finishing. How many times have you watched the news and they've shown like the New York Marathon or one of these other amazing Boston Marathons and it shows people who come in an hour, two hours after the winter, but they still finish. And they'll interview them and say, why did you just keep up? Because I couldn't not finish. I had to finish. Well, that's you and I as Christians. He says to you and I, that crown of righteousness is those, it is for those who so love the appearing of the Lord. They so look forward to looking Him in the face and being in His presence as He has prepared for you and I a heavenly home. That they run their race, finish their course, and fight their fight. Looking to the day that He will appear. The last one I want you to see is the crown of glory. 1 Peter chapter 5. Turn with me and look, and I want you to see that crown of glory. This is actually the crown that I'm going to focus on when I'm there Tuesday morning while you're asleep. Eight o'clock in the morning there. I don't know, I think it's going to be like two or three in the morning here. Um, but we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 down through 4. Because this crown is a crown reserved for those who teach and preach the gospel. And this group that's going to Israel is a group of pastors and youth directors, people in the ministry, their spouses. I think there's about 35. I've got 23 that I'm meeting in New York City. And then another preacher's gatherings, others at LaGuardia, and then we're all going to meet there in Tel Aviv. But I want you to see 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verses 1 down through 4. He says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, 
taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. When we look at this text, he's talking to preachers, pastors, elders, those who are teaching and instructing others in the gospel and in the truths of the scriptures. And he says that if each one of those elders, they need to be individuals who take the oversight and they do it not by constraint, but willingly. They're not doing it because somebody has appointed them and forcing them, but because they love their congregation. They love their people and they want to minister to them. He goes down and he talks about that it needs to be that they feed the flock of God, which is among them. And that means simply take the word of God. This is the word that feeds you and I. We come to it and it ministers to our hearts and to our souls. And your pastor, it's his responsibility to bring forth this. That's why when people ask me about Victory Baptist Church, I tell them we are a simple Bible preaching church. I'm not going to come here with the Reader's Digest condensed version. I'm going to come to you with the whole word of God. And we're going to learn from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We're going to look at how it applies to our lives. My goal is to feed the flock. That we individuals as Christians might grow and mature and strengthen in our faith. So he tells us, feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight, guiding them he means. But willingly, willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. He's saying, preacher, pastor, elder. I need you to go out there and, and teach the word of God. Every dot, every tittle. From the beginning to the end. You're not doing it for money. You're doing it because you have a passion for the scriptures and for the people. Many years ago, Sandra Joe and I, we pulled up in the parking lot out here. And back then it was an antique shop. And we came and we pulled in. And it was pretty rough back then. It was sagging. It was, it was in pretty rough shape. And Sandra Joe, we were a young couple. Uh, I, Joy and Josh were preschool and kindergarten age right there. And uh, Sandra Joe looked at me in the U-Haul truck. She said, how long, Tim? I said, what do you mean, how long? She said, how long are we going to be here? I said, well, until the Lord moves us. She said, how long is it going to be like this? I said, well, let's give it two or three years. Let's see what God will do. And within a couple of years, we, we started the first building project and we saw people come to salvation. We saw the church grow. And in another 10 years, another building project. And we just saw God work and move. Why? Because we as a congregation have a passion for the word of God. That's why. That's why we don't have, you know, golden domes and, and ruby statues made of precious stones. We invest in the hearts and lives of people. Amen? Amen? And that's what he's talking to, to the preachers here. He's saying, you, if you want to receive that crown for being a pastor, an elder, a minister, he said, then you got to get out there and you got to teach, preach, love, care, work. The work of the work. The gospel work. That's what I'm going to talk to those preachers about at the Hyperdome. You see, we're not looking to get a corruptible crown. It's an incorruptible crown. It's a heavenly crown. And the interesting thing the scriptures teach us, that in heaven itself, we take those crowns and we cast them at the feet of Jesus. So it's not for us. It's for him. It's for his glory, for his honor. 
that you and I all run our race and finish our course and fight our fight. That we make sure that we live a life that is under control. And it's a life that honors him. That we do share our faith neighbor to neighbor, friend to friend, family to family. We do this because we love his appearing. He promises each and every one of us that if we have put our faith and our trust in him, we have eternal life. Now there's some little interesting things he tells us about crowns and things like that. But the real prize is eternal life. The scriptures teach us it is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And we know that Jesus came because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's up to you and I to share the truth. Today, we as a church are going to give thanks. We're going to go down and enjoy a turkey dinner. and Everybody brought different things. Desserts, amazing desserts. Stuffing, gravy. Good stuff. I can talk about that now because it's 1130. You're not hungry yet. <laughs> but in that time that we're going to be down there, we're also going to take just a few minutes to give thanks. And first of all, we want to give thanks to our Lord. He's the one who paid. He paid on Calvary for you and for me. It is because of him that we are here. Brothers and sisters in Christ. It's because of him that we run the race. Fight the fight. And strive to finish the course. The crowns that we will receive. They're of interest, but they're really for him. But won't it be so great to be able to cast crowns at his feet? I would hate to be empty-handed, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you hate to walk up there and all you have is wood, hay, and stubble? All the ashes of a life wasted. No, you want to have some crown. Some reward. That you can cast at his feet and say, Jesus, it's all for you. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day you've given us. I thank you for this church, this congregation. I thank you for the privilege of being a preacher of the gospel. I ask that you be with us as we're dismissed, as we gather down in the fellowship hall, as we break bread together, as we give thanks to you. Help us to do all things to your glory and honor. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. John is going to close us in one chorus. And then what I would ask you to do is come down into the fellowship hall. Even if you're visiting today, we'd love for you to stay for lunch. We have plenty of food. And um, please stay. Come on down. Yep, there's an overflow in the other part of the building. So if it gets too crowded down in the fellowship hall, go ahead and grab a seat over there. Um, but we're going to pray over the food together. So what I'm asking you to do is go ahead and find a seat. Get yourself settled in. Then I'm going to ask the blessing. And then we're going to go up in some kind of sane order. Okay? All right. I stand amazed.